Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Monday's edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host, Tony Anderson. And finally, after weeks of trying to get together, like long lost lovers, we finally made it. And I'm joined by Tom Watt. How are we doing, Tom? Yeah, we don't talk anymore. It seems like every single week we're on together and then nothing. Not returning my calls, <laughs> going to other people's weddings. Absolutely. Well, I heard that um, you had the stag do recently, Tom. Is that right? I did, yeah. Um, so I'm going to get getting married next month, uh, which has also been postponed because of the, or the the unpleasantness that has been around for the last wee while. But no, yeah, we, um, got on a plane and everything. Oh, got I... on a plane, went to Belfast, threw axes, uh, had some drinks in that order. Um, yeah, and a good time was had by all. It was great. So throwing axes. So how yeah. how exactly does that work? Um, in my case, not very exactly. In uh, in a couple other people's cases, frighteningly well. You get are given what is quite a quite a heavy, sharp axe, and you've got to throw it at a target from sort of 10, 15 feet away. Um, everyone got better. A couple of people were frighteningly good at it. Um, and yeah, you just got to kind of launch it at it with as much force as you can. Sounds fun. It does. I always, it was good fun. Yeah, when I was in uh, years, a few years back, I was in Poland, in Krakow. We were going to go and do the guns, but everyone got just too drunk and nobody wanted to do it the next day <laughs> as these things invariably happen on, on stag do's. But they offered the stuff like you were allowed to so shoot, the, you're allowed to blow up cows with the, yeah, so mm. I wasn't really into that. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, the option was there that you could take like a, a missile launcher or whatever and just... 
sort of blow a cow up into smithereens. <laughs> Seems like a needless death. <laughs> well, we did we didn't axe any. Um, no animals were harmed during the making of that stag. Oh, Tom stag. Um, <laughs> yeah, we just sweated. Guinness and Irish whiskey whilst throwing axes at targets. It's great. I've never been to Belfast, so I'm putting that on the list as a, as a fun place to go. Uh, I was at a wedding, actually, Tom. Funner before we before. Don't worry, we will move on to move on to the uh, to the football at some point. Listen, but I've not spoke to Tom in a while, so this is what I'm doing. I went to a wedding on Friday, and it was in my friend's garden. So that's the first time I've ever been to one of these. Similar to what you're saying, it's been called off so many times um, that they just said, fuck this, we're going to put it on, we're going to have it in a garden. And they, it was brilliant. It was one of those, it's just one of those smart things to see the transformation of a garden I've spent a lot of time in over, <laughs> over the last couple of years. And then go in and they had the big canopy up and it looked like a proper wedding, the work that some of the girls and um, the groomsmen and that had put into it. So it was really, it was a nice day. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I made a 12-hour a playlist of music from hours. yeah from every decade uh, that was my sort of uh, gift to the wedding that, uh, so they don't know if they had to bother about music on Spotify so that fun. is both that is both a really lovely thoughtful gift and cost effective I also had to put money in a card as you always oh. do the same, the same rule as always the same amount goes <laughs> to every single wedding the same always a card with money in it with me and, and, and my fiance same thing every single time but as I said, we are going to go through all six Premiership games, but we're going to have a message from our sponsor. So here it is. The return of football is always worth celebrating and Beer 52 are generously offering free beer while you watch your team from the comfort of your own home. Or if you just want a few to get you in the mood before you head down to the local ground as we're now allowed back at the stadiums again. Yes. They're offering eight craft beers sourced and created from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash terrace and just cover the $5.95 for postage. Beer 52 is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club with over 150,000 members that they send a brand new case to each and every month. Every month's case has a different theme. Past themes have included beer from New Zealand, South Africa, Korea, all over the US and Europe. If dark beer is not your thing, you can simply choose the light option and your case will come with an award-winning beer magazine ferment and a tasty snack. Don't worry though, if you change your mind, you can pause or cancel your account at any time. Just go to beer52.com forward slash terrace to get your first case of eight beers for $5.95. That's beer52.com forward slash terrace. Righty-o, Tom, the third third week of the Scottish Premiership season brought us, I, I, I fair enjoyed it, quite a lot of good games once again. And let's start uh, Let's start for your team. I would say that was sort of traditionally the, the biggest game of the weekend. So Tynecastle, where both Hearts and Aberdeen, who'd won both the previous matches, went head-to-head and was a point a fair result, Tom. Um, yeah, I think so. Um, it was kind of a it was a pretty dull first half, and then kind of all sprang to life in the second half and threatened to boil over a little bit. Um, I think all things considered, Hearts were the better team in the first half. 
Aberdeen were the better team in the second half from the point Aberdeen went a goal down, kind of got got to grips with the game a little bit and, and Hearts didn't know whether to push on for a second or, or sit on it and were kind of caught in two minds between. Um, but no, uh, pretty enjoyable game. Another one, uh, I think all things considered, both teams will be relatively happy with, with the point. Uh, for Hearts, it keeps the unbeaten start of the season uh, going, keeps the momentum up. I think for Aberdeen coming all the way back from Azerbaijan to one of the trickier grounds, one of the trickier away fixtures and, and coming away with a point, I don't think anyone will be too disappointed with it. Right. So let's let's start with, with Hearts. Um, something that's been noticed that I know Craig talks about and, and I've noticed it is the sort of la- they seem to have sort of three forwards and then everyone else seems to be rather a defensive player in, the, in this 3-4-3 formation. Obviously, Mackay, Stephen and Ginelli being so, I think, so crucial to how this formation works. Do you see this having any sort of legs in the way it is right now? I know it started well, but do you see those gaps showing sooner rather than later? Or do you think they'd really need to get into the, to the market to bring in some sort of, sort of more attacking wing-backs? I think for that formation to work functionally against better teams, um, yeah, I think they're they're going to need to do a, a, a bit of shopping. Um, but I thought Hearts largely the first in the first half were pretty good, kept Aberdeen at, um, at arm's length. I think where where it was worrying is it effectively was a kind of seven. Well, so it's sort of like a six-one-three formation. Uh, Benny Benagami, I thought, had a very good game in the, the middle. I think he sort of was is is the actual midfielder who puts his foot on the ball and tries to do things. But when you know your when your other midfielder, sort of like you know your, your Peter Herring and people like that, who who effectively were dropping back, especially after Hart scored, were dropping back effectively to become fourth defenders. You are inviting. Decent teams uh, onto you, and for uh, as good as uh, or as much of the play and as much as the chances as Hearts had in the lead up to to the goal, it took for my money what was a fairly suspect penalty for them to 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 get ahead. You know, Gary McKay Stephen being made of ghosts' hair and feathers. Um, well, I think what goes around comes around. He won. Well, goes, well quite one hundred thousand penalties for for Aberdeen. This is true. This is true. It's the great circle of life. We'll, we'll come on to Peter Paulet later. Um, absolutely, and I think the the problem that Hearts have is when is then trying to sit on it, and they did try and sit on it, and they were. They were sitting on a lead at a time when they weren't necessarily in the ascendancy. I think, yet again, from an Aberdeen's, uh, Aberdeen perspective, what was encouraging is that Stephen Glass made this definitive halftime decisions, brought J. Manuel Thomas on, who completely changed the game, uh, brought Dean Campbell on, who, who had a very good game as well. Um, and Hearts, if you are, if you're basically, if you are completely forfeiting the midfield, the ball is going to keep coming back and keep coming back and keep coming back. And they don't have the kind of wing backs to offer an out ball. Then when Aberdeen were getting the ball, I mean, you, you, you effectively saw it for the goal. It was a ball from the, you know, the, um, the right hand side of the pitch. right hand side that went right, right across, across. the 
and then the left, you know, the left. Uh, Dean Campbell picked up on the left hand side and put it right back across into the near post. I think that's where there will be problems with this kind of formation. Is that you, you know, you've got a good mix of players up front. You've got a good mix of problems that you're going to ask of other teams. But if you if you can't really support them with additional bodies and there's no real opportunity to hold the ball and be a bit patient and and and, may, and you know and, and play some football and ask some questions, then I think and that is largely down to personnel and who's there there's some good footballers in that team and um but but they could do if they could do with a couple of bodies yet i think yeah because even by hearts you can see michael smith easily going back into the back three if they were able to bring in a, a right wing back and i know from what i've, I've heard is that people seem to prefer andy halliday in this left wing back role than they do in, in a central role but he's, he's always going to want to come inside it's it's his natural so it stops them having uh, so with, I always feel when I'm watching them that the pitch is quite compact uh, when Hearts are playing. Uh, moving over to Aberdeen, you, you touched on it and I really was something I wanted to talk about because I noticed that so uh, Jay Manuel Thomas came on in the 40th minute. Was that due to an injury or was that? Uh, it sounds like Conor McLennan had, like, had potentially got a knock Um and I think at this stage they're just not taking any precaution. You know, every precaution's been taken. So yeah, precaution to take them off. And it's becoming a, a feature of sort of Glass's management that he makes changes quite regularly. We think we spoke about this before, Tom. That one of the last things that we were on there for for the European games, it's just he, 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 if he sees something he doesn't like, he just reacts to it instantly. What was your feelings on so uh, this time Ross McCrory and Declan Gallagher sort of center halves together? Um, I, I, I am. I'm not a huge fan of McCrory at centre back. I think he's one of the better footballers we've got. As uh, 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 I, I think he's a very, very good all round midfielder. Um, I did think that there was a possibility that even they would look to play him at, at, at right back, not from an attacking perspective necessarily, but like. If I was him, I would have been angling for that with one eye on a, a Scotland call-up. Um, like he, he's solid enough defensively. He's pretty good in the air. But he's not played a huge amount of football at the highest well, the highest level in Scotland uh, as a centre-back. Um, I thought there was maybe a bit more composure and a bit more chemistry between them than when the, than, than, than Gallagher and Constantine. I think Gallagher, Constantine and McCrory as a back three works quite well, but Mm-hmm. Constantine and, and, and Gallagher together haven't, I mean it's very early days, we're only talking about a couple of games but I don't think we've seen the best of either of them when they've been playing together um, but you know, needs must I think it's the only two the only two defensive options really they've got at the moment and they were fine. Are they, are they are Aberdeen in the market Tom? I mean you'll keep an eye on this more for, for a centre half I, I would I think that a lot will depend on how long Considine is meant to be out for and what the progress is expected of, with, with Michael Devlin. Um, Glass said last week that um, well, Devlin's got a contract until until the new year and the idea being he's given every opportunity to show that he's fit enough to, to, to play regularly. I think that there's two concerns with that. One is that he's apparently had a couple of setbacks whilst trying to get back to full fitness. And the other one is even if he does get back to full fitness, he's barely played football in 18 months. Uh, like he, It's going to take him 
a good wee while just even if for muscle memory to kick in to be anything like the defender he was that the, the first six months he uh, he was Aberdeen. I think if there's anything that to suggest that Constantine's injury, which didn't look great when he came off, and I think he will probably learn the, the extent of that tomorrow, if he's out for any length of time, I think they'll probably look to at least take in a, a centre-back on loan. I still think the priorities will probably be another attacking player and, and potentially a, some if, if like Matty Kennedy is going out then maybe another sort of supporting midfield player but I think there'll be a, f- a fair bit of movement yet yeah because I was I, I think Aberdeen's quite I think Aberdeen you know, Aberdeen and Hibs are obviously two of the, the front runners to European positions and I feel like they're, they're where their gaps are in the squad they're almost exactly the same um, in, in terms of numbers and where they need them but you must have been excited about the impact Emmanuel Thomas has made again because there was loads of doubts about him from, from many angles. But I think he's came on and completely changed that game. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's been most impressive with not just Glass's sort of halftime, early doors tinkering to, to completely change the game, the way he's recruited has mean that, means that when you make substitutions, the player who's coming on is very different. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, you're taking off Johnny Hayes and putting on Niall McGinn. One could have had an off day and one could, you know, up their game. But it's a fact, you know, if, you, if you're taking off Conor McLennan, who's actually, you know, been, been one of the better attacking players this season and seems to have come on a fair bit from looking like he'd regressed a bit last season. But if you're taking off Conor McLennan and putting on J. Emmanuel Thomas, it's a completely different prospect for other people to for, for the opposition to deal with and um, you know similarly if you're taking off a, a wide player and, and, and dealing with like Teddy Jenks who I thought had a good game as well is much more of a sort of all action all round midfielder who was tidy with possession but was looking to play killer passes I, I think there's a lot of options with the personnel which means that when when Glass makes changes and he likes making changes quite a lot they're you, you're forcing the opposition to rethink what they're doing. Yeah, and I think that's something that um, I think that's really important when you've got a player and they're playing, you play for half, like 60 minutes, 70 minutes, and you've designed your game around playing against someone else, you get used to it, and then someone comes in who's going to ask you either to come inside a lot more or who uses his body better than it, and, it, and always wanting to go to the byline, these things. It can take another five minutes to get to grips and get used to that. And then that can be a period where. You can you can hit them at that moment, and um, given the the variation in Aberdeen's squad and what he's added with with Funzo Ojo, who I don't want to mention again simply because I mean Ojo's been on this podcast nonstop <laughs> to start of the season, but he got his he got his goal and it was a I mean great run. He got himself in between sort of two really good defenders as well, and, and Suter and Smith, and he's and he's tucked it away no baller. Yeah, really. Uh, I mean, for for your first goal, I mean, it's his, his first goal for Aberdeen. I think it's his first goal in three years anywhere. Um, pretty instinctive, even like watching it back. You're like that's kind of a confidence finish. Um, yeah, I mean, we've talked about uh, him at great length. He's, he can still be very frustrating, but it's it's so weird. I cannot think of another example. I can think of there's there's quite a lot of examples of like scampering wide players. 
um, being retrained to be really good holding players because they will chase everything down. They always offer a pass. They'll pass and move and, and be able to progress the ball up the, the park. I can't think of many examples where it goes the other way around. Yeah. And, and Ojo was brought just like brought in as a kind of water carrier. He's now basically playing as a left winger every <laughs> time. And I, I, he's and has sprung pace from some places and tricks from places and arriving late in the box. It's, you know, it's a cliche to say it's like a, di- a new signing. This is a totally different player. <laughs> no, it's going to be the most uh, the tracking him non-stop. And I, mean, I think we're going to end up talking about him every single time because it is just so surreal. Um, but like similar like what I said before, we were doing it with Rooney last season because it just seemed so, um, so alien because it's just such a transformation in a player. Even though more with Rooney, you could see it more at, quite quickly with his attributes and it was basically a lot of these things being unleashed but these are things that you just didn't realise that Ojo had so I mean fair play to Glass he's, he's spotted something and you really could end up looking like an arsehole making those types of, <laughs> you know what I mean like you you, yeah. you you could be sitting here after week one and Ojo's played left wing and he's been absolutely garbage and Ojo has done nothing is out the game That it's a brave move it's a brave brave move yeah I mean it's the equivalent of I don't know. You know, it, it would be like some someone watching us last season and deciding that Ross McCrory is going to play left wing. Yeah, which, yeah, no. And with these and with these young managers like Tam Courts, Glass, it's really brave as well because you could easily get called a smart arse. You know, already people don't. There seems a lot, and I'm going to come on to this with with Tam Courts, and I'm guilty of it as well. People don't want these guys to do well in in Scottish football. That's just that's just a fact. Whether it's it seems a lot of fans and, and media don't fancy it. Um, so as I said, Glad is really brave because it's such a a decision that can bite you so far in the arse and really. Um, like stereotypes can become about you, about overthinking things, trying to be too clever. Uh, and he's went ahead and done it and, and it's worked. But let's move on. And we're going to go to Den's Park on Sunday because although it was my team involved, I'm going to put my neck on the line and say it was probably the best game of the weekend. I thought it was, I don't know if you watched this, Tom, but I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It looked really intense. I didn't watch it. Um, I didn't watch the time, but I've watched the, I've watched a full and extensive highlights cover uh, of it. Like both teams going for it, it being pretty wide open, uh, momentum swinging back and forward, like some really good goals, some really good saves, a bit of daftness and some madness and celebrations at the end. Yeah. So I think this is, um, because I'm going to come on to criticise elements of it, as, as you would imagine, but... Let's say about, I think it's now we're getting very close to being able to confirm that um, Hibs aren't conservative under Jack Ross anymore. I think that's enough of a sample size now, those first three games with the goals. He's got a couple of goals in the cup and even in the in the European games, Hibs were um, they at least attempted to be on the front foot. Even in the away game in Croatia, I think Hibs probably played too open in the first half. It never worked at all. And they were all, but the, the, as I said, the insistence of playing on the front foot quite constantly and try to suffocate teams, I think, is there. And we've done that despite the fact that um, obviously we're missing the entire spine of the team. But I do want to talk about Dundee because I was so impressed with Dundee in, in the first 20 minutes. The, 
Max Anderson and Sean Byrne and with Adam, it works really well because Burns and Anderson are so tenacious. Uh, so there, there were so many legs and they were pressing the living shit out of Hibs. And I was quite surprised because I thought that Hibs, this is the first time that Hibs had had a week's rest uh, for, for a match. And, and they looked more, they, they did not look ready for, for what Dundee were coming at. And the first 20 minutes, Hibs could not get a touch of the ball. They couldn't breathe. And then the negativity that I'm going to come on with, with Gogic was really, you could really see it because he couldn't, he couldn't get his foot on the ball. Neil not being there stopped us for like the first 20 odd minutes. And, and to be frank, they could have blown us away in, in, that, in that period, which I might sound funny to some people, but they really could have. I love the balance that they have with, McMullen, who was who was superb, but McMullen and a guy like Cummings, a guy like Cummings who always wants to get in front of a defender, he wants a tap in. He's he's sharp and around the box. I actually thought his all round game was better than I'd seen um, in, in in a long time. And there was elements of luck in it sometimes, but he was very willing to drop in and take the ball, and he was using his body well. And these are sort of criticisms we've always had of of Cummings. But what I do like is that is. If Cummings always doing that, it makes the defenders always go on the back foot because they know the type of defender he is. And if you've got McMullen, who's sort of a tricky winger, he's direct and he wants to get the crosses in. And then you've got Charlie Adam, who slowly sort of just moves up the park when he's not on the ball. He, he sort of creeps up the, the, the park. So like, uh, I always like picture him as like a fives player. It's like the, the sort of bigger guy at the back who's got a rocket, a shot, and he tiptoes <laughs> forward and nobody sort of notices I'm going there, even though we all know what Adam wants to happen. He wants to get to the edge of the box and he wants to, to, to hit a shot. And I really think that could be a feature of their play this season if they get the strikers right. I know they've got a few options. I know that Jason Cummins didn't actually start um, the season as striker, but he's, he sort of got in there now or sorry, he wasn't going to be, he, he didn't finish last season as the main man, but he, he sort of seems to have got in front just now and he got his goal in there. And I think if it works and Cummings is willing to do the part of the game that he'd done in this one, I think that could really work as a style for Dundee. And like I said, with the, with the legs that they have and the, the aggression, I, I was really taken aback. I didn't expect it at all from Dundee, but really going by when your defenders are, so Christy Elliott and Liam Fontaine, I would say that probably is a smart move. I think they're, I think what I've been most impressed with from Dundee, and this may be coming from a position of complete naivety because I didn't watch them last season, is the the amount of football that they've played and the the amount of footballers in that team, mm-hmm. and and to some extent that makes that makes sense because there are some very good footballers in that team. Some, some, you know, there's a fair amount of ability in it, but I think the the style that they've come up with and the, it can be quite cavalier. I mean, they like you say they they could easily have been at least at least two 0 up um, before before um, Hibs had even drawn breath. Hibs had even drawn breath yeah. at least, but equally when the momentum swung swung back the way they could easily have been four one down yeah. um, because the, they. They do commit men forward. They do leave a lot of space. They're, they do have some panic stations at the back. They had to. I mean, um, uh, Legends in the in the in the, uh, the the goalkeeper had. I thought had a really good game. He got a couple of breaks of the ball as well. But I think if they play like that and they approach every game like that, they're going to be just fine this season yeah. and fun. Which I think yeah, is important and a lot of fun. 
because like their 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 neighbours across the road, they'd done it the the complete opposite way last season, and they were they were pretty safe. They never really looked in too much danger. Dundee United, but there's there's a way of enjoying yourself, <laughs> and then and Dundee, I think, can be could finish seventh or eighth or even. You, you never know. Like they could, they could you know, like make a run at the top six, similar to maybe what St Mirren done last season. I don't actually think they will, but I'm saying that there's possibilities in that. But at least it, the fans are going to be there and they're going to enjoy it. If Dundee play like that every week, they will, they will, they will hammer someone. Yeah, they will hammer someone on an off day. They will like they'll put you know four or five past somebody who's just not at the races because they sw- for whisper, whisper quietly, Ross County. <laughs> Well, for the for the the first for for like a twenty minute spell, they were on top of everything, and they were pinging shots from distance. And Charlie Adam had found his range, and everything was kind of almost clicking. Um, I think then, and like you say, I, I'm not. I mean, I'm quite interested to hear what you make of the sort of the, the two holding the sort of two or three man midfield, depending on how you how you aim it, how you describe it um, positionally with, with Doyle Hayes, Gogic and McGuinness. If that works, there's obviously missing an awful lot with, with Joe Newell and not being p- perhaps quite as dynamic, but what you made of the, the, the midfield three, two, whatever you do. Well, yeah, as I said, um, Hibs were missing quite a lot of players going at this. Mm. I mean, I mean, that's probably like huge part of the spine of the team, like Paul Hanlon not being there. Uh, Joe Neal not being there and uh, obviously Kevin Nisbet or Christian Deutsch or maybe, I mean they're large parts where we play them as, as a pair but yeah, I think there was, I think there'll be a lot of newfound respect for Joe Neal and his role in the team by by fans here because they I think some people th- see him as relatively negative sometimes and I can see their point because he's got He's got the range and he's got the ability to play much quicker forward than maybe he does sometimes. And Doyle Hayes has done that in the first few games. So that's really endeared him to the to the Hibs fans. He's been a bit more of a, a driver, if you like, from there. But Newell's, so it does that at times, but Newell's seems a very considered player. He knows what what's needed at, at what time. And I think you really noticed yesterday when, with him taking out um, we're going to be doing a, a Patreon after this for people who are interested, and obviously some people will be listening who are already on there, about players who've started this season. We've done one last week where it was about players who've start, who started the season surprisingly well, but we're going to do the opposite to people who've started the season surprisingly badly. So I'm not going to go into too much detail about Gogic because he's going to be pretty high on that list for the start of the season. Anyone who's watched Hibs will agree because I thought Gogic... Well, he's had these limitations. I thought he was really good last season. And I think the signing of him was so important to get Hibs to third, even when he had these off days. He was he was needed in there. But I'm starting to get the feeling that maybe the team's sort of evolving too much from now. And, and the pace of how Hibs are playing when they're going forward is maybe too much for him. Because he's given... Last season, obviously, we know his limitations, but he gives... He's given the ball away an awful lot more than he even did last season. And I think that's because the tempo and the movement of the team uh, is it's, it's asking a lot of him. I think maybe he would prefer to play with Neil for that reason, is that I think Neil will be much more of a, will give him an angle for a really simple pass quite regularly, which suits him from time. But I'm not going to go into other things because I do want to mention a bit more about the difference between last season and this season. But there could, Hibs had the options. They, they, Scott Allen's on the bench there. I mean, we don't know the fitness of Scott Allen. There's there's now questions about whether Jack Ross 
fancy Scott Allen. I don't, I, I'm not sure about that because when he first came in, he played a lot, Allen, and he was good under Ross. And even last season, when he first came back from sorry, a life-threatening injury, mm. he was getting lobbed on quite regularly as a sub before the realisation is he probably didn't have it yet and he needed to go alone to get it going. And he's not really managed to get on the pitch much this season. So I, I, I find it weird to think that he doesn't rate him because he's always used them. And, and he's such a, a good player to have, Scott Allen, at times, even though, again, I can see why McGuinness is a better bet for the all-round nature of his of his team and, and obviously us being able to press teams and, and hem them in, which isn't really Scott Allen's game. But there was there was an avenue for that, and you could argue that maybe that he, sh- he should have started with that. But again, Hibbs came into the game quite strongly in the second half without Scott Allen being there. And Hibbs sort of really dominated the second half and should have, as, as you were probably saying earlier, should have comfortably won it. I mean, the, the, the Boyle chance when he hits the rocket with his left foot when he really had time to take a, sh- take a touch. And then there was the Jamie Murphy chance, which is his guilt edge that's going to get for, for finishing a game off. That goes in. A lot of these other conversations aren't happening. Um, uh, but like a, a real feature of Hibs play from last season, I don't, I'm sure I read the stat. I'm, I'm happy to be corrected. Hibs didn't concede a header last season, um, all season in the league. But this season we've conceded loads <laughs> straight away. <laughs> and, and that's with much of the same defence they are certainly fullbacks, but the fullbacks don't seem to be stopping crosses. Uh, Paul McGinn's another one who I think's dropped off from a seriously high ceiling last season. But I think we're now getting him to maybe, maybe there was somewhere in the middle between Paul McGinn last season and Paul McGinn that I'm seeing now. So I'm hoping that he gets there. But I, I wouldn't be against people have always talked about upgrading Paul McGinn. And at times I thought it was unfair because he was playing so well. But it's like maybe that reality wasn't going to last forever and maybe there is. Paul McGinn would be an absolutely brilliant sort of squad player because of his ability to play central, ability to play in a three, ability to play right back. I mean, when he was on song last season, he was he was a swashbuckling right back, playing one twos, <laughs> getting the box, creating chances, scoring goals. He scored about three last season doing that. And then, but we're conceding from a lot of crosses and Dundee were getting so much joy with McMullen. I mean, the first goal is terrible goal from a Hibs point of view. It's, it's laid off. Hibs have, it's from a throw-in and Hibs are, are, have three men over that throw-in and, and nobody really goes to the ball. And you're seeing sort of Josh Doig sort of in kind of a no-man's, um, sort of Josh Doig's at the back post being forced to pick up Cummings. And we've got two defenders that aren't picking up anyone who's sort of zonally marking. And then sort of Boyle, uh, McGinn, and I think it might be Doyle Hayes, but I, I, I might be wrong. None of them actually sort of stop the ball for the throw-in, but they're all in and around it. But, you know, when, they, when they're in there, it's so frustrating because, like, none of you are fucking doing anything, man. <laughs> you are, there's three of you there, and they're taking a simple throw-in. And, and sort of Charlie Adam, who's, got the, who's probably the best football player on that park in terms of purely the, how well he can technically kick a football, is getting time to take from a throw-in, what ends up being almost like a set-piece. Because he's so free to then whip it in. And like I said, it, it, it evades. McGregor gets a bit caught and he's another year older and his agility is low. He can't really manoeuvre his feet to make the clearance. He ends up falling over. And then, as I said, Doig ends up being the one trying to stop Cummings and, and, and Cummings does really well to get his feet and it's a, and it's a tidy finish. And then the, the equaliser, it's really good for a Dundee point of view because it shows how much they wanted it. That point from the throw-in, 
they, they, they sort of take it quickly. It's probably a heads ball, but I really, I hate when this becomes a thing, but even though it worked against my team, throw-ins get wrongly given yeah, yeah. every game. Yeah. <laughs> every game. So really, like, getting caught up in that, I think it, it, it sort of takes away from what is a, just a reality of the game, that there's going to be, it can always be really tough. So even though it was a Hibs ball, it gets taken quickly, Boyle's screaming, he tries to shut it down, McMullen does well, thinks in, Gogic, maybe for the third time this season, completely loses his man, who he's tracking, uh, which is McGowan, and uh, he's he sort of caught ball watching, it gets over, and then something else that I'm not liking, and you know, I've, I've, I've said that a couple of times about Matt Macy. I was going to um, ask you about this. Yeah, it, it's hard to really pinpoint it on him, but... So a lot going into his six-yard box that he never leaves his line. Mm. And so it's easier. I mean, these are the times where I always feel like there's a lack of, and this is in media, football, I mean, not just the tennis podcast, but in media in general, there's a lack of real critiquing of goalkeepers from people who actually know really what they're talking about. That's how I always feel. Uh, I remember watching Rob Green do a bit on walls on Sky Sports News. People don't think Rob Green's much of it. But I watched it and it was one of the most interesting things I'd seen on Sky Sports News because he pointed stuff out that I didn't notice. And just when you've got a goalkeeper at that size and there's a floated ball, like it's, it's, a, it's a dinked ball to the, to, the, to the back post. And the, Paul McGowan, the smallest guy, is able to not move and head it in. And obviously I feel for Doy because doy has got the man behind him that he's probably thinking about. He doesn't know to come over and pick up and Gogic has lost him. Um, and then Macy's just absolutely stuck to his line. And, and that's not the first time. The Motherwell goal, the, the, I think the opening goal from a set piece was very similar. He ended up heading it in from about four yards out. Um, it just seems when you've got a guy of that height, isn't that, do you want you want him to be coming out and claiming it, don't you? You do. I, I mean, I think... From uh, from someone who doesn't really care who <laughs> at all, from a cold, cold hearted, uh, kind of cold hearted point of view, if if balls are being put in, and like say it wasn't totally drilled in, but it's a difficult ball to defend. It's a it's a ball that's moving. It's a ball that's swerving away from defenders. It is a difficult ball to defend, and if it's coming to with you know six four yards from the goal line and there is enough time for a goalkeeper to, to come out and claim it or just punch it to fuck. Just like, you know, get, get it away from the goal. It's a, it's a huge benefit to the defense. Like I would almost not completely absorb, absolve the defense from blame because they, they should have done better with the, they should have done better with it, but not just the height of, of Matt Macy, not just the, the fact you want your goalkeeper to be dominant in those kind of situations. It was not a difficult ball for him to come out, take, take the pressure off defenders, and that's the game one. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, we're not talking about him having to charge out 25 yards and head a ball clear. It's taking two steps forward, judging the fight of the ball. And if he puts his hands in the air, he is quite a lot bigger than Paul McGowan. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Um, in terms of the positive side frames, I thought Ryan Porteous was superb. Um, in, in every aspect. Lovely finish as well. Yeah, that, that, that was clearly something worked on the training ground, which is good, because uh, I think a lot of us like that because we get so frustrated about the lack of... Uh, I'm, I'm sure every fans, even the fans of clubs whose set pieces are good and they score a lot from, they'll never think they do. I never meet a fan <laughs> who thinks their team's good at set pieces, uh, even if you were to show them the stats that prove that they are, just because obviously so many go wrong. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just sort of like a fact to life. 
but it was a good move. And Porch's obviously played the pass to create the penalty. And just one thing I really like about Ryan Porch's is his variation in his passings. So good. And I think this is what he's still young. And I don't think I think that that's part of the reason people are interested about him moving up is because they think he'll improve the other aspects of his game. But with Porch's pace, strength, and ball ability, he's got things that the center half will never have. And I think that that's what makes so despite the errors, this is what coaches will see and they will think they can coach the errors out of them. And obviously, pure through pure experience, they will do that. But having center halves that are capable to do all those other things that I just mentioned, that's much harder to sort of get sort of big huddy center halves to play sort of drilled passes outside their foot that go around. So it's a it's a real bonus that that Hibs have with Porteous, but yeah, I think he was great, and it was a, and it was a really good finish. Uh, but yeah, it was Martin Boyle again was superb. He got the penalty. What do you think of the penalty, Tom? Uh, from it's not a penalty for me. I don't think uh, for me you've got for me you the the player like it, it it's careless from the defender not looking where he's going, but the momentum needs to be enough to knock him off his feet. Just colliding is not enough. It's just it's not a penalty for me. I can see why it's given though. It was, it was clever from Murphy. Yeah. I think is like what were contracting. There was there was a there was a far clearer one. I think later on in the game, the one that I did actually think was a penalty, which I think maybe it might have been on Murphy as well. No, it was uh, on Ed Gullen in the, in the last Gullen. minute. In the last yeah, minute, I thought Boyle tried through. I, I thought that was far clearer than 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 the one that was given, but you know. I think it, it was a be, long way from the worst decision of the weekend. Yeah, and I think you'd be. Yeah, I think the fact that we got that one earlier, you're it's going to be tough to get another one when you're sort of just bundled in the back. You know, and this is this is what's these like, you should be able to get them. It shouldn't matter, but we all know human beings do take these things into consideration. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, I, I thought, as I said, a thoroughly enjoyable game, and we spent far too much time on it. But um, yeah, I'm, I was I was excited. I'm looking forward to. I'm going to be. I'm the same as you. I didn't really watch much of the championship last season, um, so I'm really and I, so I know nothing really about Dundee. I watched them in the playoffs, so to see them like that, I'm like this is a team that I'm going to keep an eye on because their games are going to be right good fun. And I can picture Hibs Dundee games being really good fun. That that the next sort of two and maybe even three of Dundee are able to make the top six. And yes, I have just assumed that Hibs are making the top six. You can put that in your notepads, everyone. Let's go to Victoria Park, where um, Ross County conceded four again, Tom, and this time with four changes made from, from the last sort of Premier League game. Ross County versus the Champions Rangers, <laughs> yeah. as they are contractually obliged to say. The Champions Rangers were in town to were up in Dingwall to play Ross County. The Champions Rangers were uh, victorious four two. Um, I think it, it, uh, start with I think the the, I mean, the the positives for Ross County was where they they looked a lot brighter. They got a lot more of the ball. They created an awful lot more in this game than the games I've seen them play against Rangers in the last, certainly last season. And they looked a little bit more threatening all round than most games I've seen from them this season as well. Um, they, they didn't let their heads drop. They were, I think they rattled Rangers a little bit. They, they were, um, they were very unlucky not to get a penalty early on. Um, a kind of, 
I mean, maybe the second worst decision of the weekend uh, when the, the um, Leon Balogun heads the ball with the like, sort of 50p piece head onto his own hand and that should have definitely been a penalty. Uh, but at but Rangers kind of without really getting out of second gear, um, like Joe Rebo scores a brilliant goal, Rangers get um, a corner that they, they threatened a couple of times from corners and Ross County didn't really know what looked like they knew what was gonna what to do with those. Um Connor Goldson scores, it's 2-0. I think it's 2-0 before it's even 20 minutes gone. Had this been exactly the same scenario last season with the same pretty much the, the same players available, Rangers would have won this game 5-0 without getting out second gear. Um, and I think that's both a reflection on them and probably on Ross County as well. Um, I think credit to them, credit to Ross County where it's due is they they kind of stuck at it, got themselves back into the game. Even when Morelos makes it 3-1, they, they stick at it. They still create chances. Um, they get their penalty. They make it 3-2. And, and for five minutes or so... <laughs> Five ten minutes. Um, it it looks like it could be a bit tense. Ulti- you know, ultimately Rangers scored a, f- a fourth. Scotterfield scored a fourth and had a couple of ex- uh, additional opportunities that they could have really put it beyond. Um, uh, really, put a, you know, put a lot of gloss on the scoreline. I think there are concerns for there are concerns again from Ross County perspective. I think they kind of play in fits and starts defensively, especially at set pieces. They were all over the place. Rangers putting a, you know, Rangers putting balls into the back post, the amount of joy, the center, the the, center backs coming up from the back for, for set pieces we're getting just, just bullying the, that Ross County defense. But going forward, they looked like they had a bit of purpose. They actually played some, pretty decent football there was some nice interplay um especially for the the their first uh, for for Harry Clark's goal i mean admittedly some pretty pretty generous defending from rangers which not really been used to but i think they're uh, i don't know i'm not sure exactly on who's the favorites to go down but county won't be far off that no given the recruitment given the way that they've, you know, the the, the play, way they played last season, given that there's not really been, given some of the generous defending that they've had, but I think there was enough in that to say that maybe, you know, they they can at least cause some problems. Yeah, and they, obviously they've got the other issue is that there's a huge sort of gap between the fans and the team now because of the manager, and there's no there's no getting away from that. It's, they're on the back foot from the word go because the fans aren't happy about who the who the manager is and Malcolm McKay needs to get it right quite quickly. And he was already going to a team that wasn't particularly good and he's trying to make a lot of changes. So there was, there's, there's as we've said numerous times over this, and I know the, um, John Maxwell, when he'd done the, the Ross County preview, he was touching on that, is that it can all go tits up so fast. And so early, the, the major changes they made, obviously I watched them for 90 minutes the last game as they were at Easter Road. So I was actually watching them in the flesh and they... I mean, they were three 0 down, and and they lost three goals in eleven minutes. They done nearly lost two goals. Yes, so that was the most impressive thing, is that they they didn't capitulate 
because it was literally the same thing that happened uh, as the previous time. This time against an even better side than the team that done it to them the last time. They cho- they moved to a back four um, this week, and before that, they'd been at a, a back three at Easter Road. Uh, so Harry Clark had come in, and he was playing with Yakovi and sort of Donaldson uh, and Watson had both been sort of punted out, and Harry Payton's brother had come in at and at left back now. Uh, and can can Cola is playing in centre midfield, and sort of spit on. And they had Callahan trying to get close to White. So it'll be interesting to see what avenue he is going down. If it's going to be a back four or a or a back three, but he's going to need. I can see something in Spittle. Charles Cook Spittle has a bit of technical ability, but he just blows so hot and cold. It's been a story of his whole career. I mean, he's had whole seasons off. They're spittle in his life. And, and uh, Charles Cook is all about running, all about running. He's he, he, and, he, and he's quick. But they can get that and they can get Jordan White and Callahan really close together. I'd be borderline thinking about playing Callahan practically as a second striker. I think um, he, he showed that he had those goals in him last season. And I think they are, I've, I think I've spoken about this before, maybe with you, Tom, like when, when, when you're shit, which a lot of the teams down the bottom of the league are, you start needing to look for weapons and partnerships that drag you out. So like last season, it nearly happened to Hamilton. We're rubbish, but having so Ocumpo, Bruce Anderson, and then Callahan in behind, that was just like, they could go long. They had the tenacity of Anderson, the height of Ocumpo and the strength to get the knockdowns and Callahan, who was really keen to score goals. You know, like these things that can drag you, drag you forward. And they obviously had the midfielder who is, Sort of like the quickest and, and obviously the unbelievable season that they had last season, but that wasn't even enough for Hamilton. I just named four guys who I thought were could arguably say they were having decent seasons and decent periods last season. I still think it needs a lot of work at, at County. They're going to need to find really specific sort of partnerships to, to make this work. Yeah, I mean, at, at the moment, it feels like a fairly decent championship squad. Um, like there are, there are, you know, there are definitely players that we like. You know, there are players that have performed at the Premiership level and are fairly good at Premiership level. But at the moment, there are just big gaping holes. In uh, from Malcolm Mackay's perspective, she's going to need to start to fix things quite quickly because it was already a pretty hostile atmosphere towards his appointment. Their next two games are against Aberdeen and Celtic. Um, then you've lost five. It, you, it can could, see, you could it, easily it could be sitting get, here saying they've conceded 15, 20 goals. I mean, you I can mean, get the, around that. The, 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 way, the way Celtic are playing, where they're basically playing with a front five, um, you would not want to go and, and be as generous with the defending as they were in, 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 in this game. Well, the last two games, Easter Road and, and here against Rangers. Um Going on to Rangers briefly, uh, they'll be chuffed. Uh, they needed they needed a good result. They needed to feel good about themselves. So I think the four goals, while the two goals I think are worried Gerard. I think more importantly was the team feeling good about themselves and having a bit of flow. I think you can see the difference. Not having well having Kamara playing, I always think it makes a huge difference to to Rangers. Having him missing in Europe's essentially cost them. I feel arguably it's cost them a Champions League place. I really do believe he's that important when it comes to these European games. They've looked really lost without him and Jack in there in these European and at least one of them uh, available in there. But in this game they went with Aribo in the in the central midfield. 
make sure Lundgren on the bench, which I think makes sense. There's no need for Rangers to play their sort of European away trio. We spoke at length about that, so I won't go into it again. I think everyone, most people agree. Uh, so Aribo was in there, and I, th- I always like Aribo playing. If I was Rangers pushing him right forward at the start of games, because against those tight defences, he's the best at taking the ball in. Uh, in those positions and, and trying to make something happen. You know, in that first 20 minutes where it's really hard to get, to, to, to sort of break a team down, he's probably possibly the best player in the league at having the ball and, and turning in there and, and sort of being able to create something to happen. And he, he created a good goal. Peyton will be disappointed. He'll not, it's like such a tough one because he doesn't want to get too tight to him because of who it is. It's Aribo. You'll be told, you don't want to get touched tight because he'll turn you. Uh, inside out and then you'll be completely out of the game but when he turns he takes another step back and that's the time where he has to engage uh, and, but again that's me being hypercritical because I mean it's an absolutely perfect finish, yeah. yeah perfect goal um, uh, one thing and then Morelos getting his goal it was a it was like a quite a tidy finish I don't know Laidlaw kind of falls over uh, I didn't really understand what was going on there um, <laughs> I think you I, I think there, there's there was enough encouragement. Like you say, there was some... Gerard will be worried with the manner that they conceded the goals and the, the manner, the 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 way they kind of... Even the way the penalty was conceded was just like switching off and turning a, you know, turning your back on the ball. Um, and there being a couple of minutes of nervy moments. But I think Aribo was good. Morelos was good. Goldson had a had a had a pretty good game. Um, there there's still question marks over where Ryan Kent is at the moment. I think we'll touch on that in the Patreon. Absolutely. Um, but I there can, can I interject there for a second? A bit, a bit of momentum. Can I interject for a second? But, I don't understand with Rangers the problems that they're having. Surely you play Hollander. Surely right now it's it's not that. So that I don't rate Bal again. I think he's pretty good, uh, and, and he's he's certainly his pace hides some of his deficiencies because he's 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 got he's a very good recovery defender. And I get that maybe if they want to play a high line, they maybe think that Balakin's the best. But just Helander is for me the best defender mm-hmm. in Scotland. Like purely the sense of being a defender. I mean, Goldson's probably better player for Rangers because there's more to him. Than, than than purely the defensive side, better, better footballer, but yeah, all round. But, but as a, as an out and out, you know, stopping the opposition. Yeah, yes. I just feel Highlander's superb. I like, really, especially in Europe, you really see him come to the, the fore when Rangers sort of are under the cosh a, a bit more in games. Um, so I just think right now, I'd be getting, I'd be Highlander and Goldson. I'd stick with what was probably my strongest pairing last season, and certainly going into sort of going to Armenia during the week and then going to play Celtic next week, I would be hell-bent on that. And well, the, the, the problem is Barisic, but... And then the, I could see the difference in what they were asking. When Arfield came on, he was still getting on, uh, getting in the box and he got his goal, which was good. And uh, they also, when Lundstrom came on, he was... At that goal, he starts the move and, and he gets into the box as well. So he, I can see that Lundstrom's going to be getting a lot of encouragement to do that, which is going to be interesting because some people would say... Why fucking sign Lundstrom if you want to turn him into a completely, <laughs> completely different player than what the one the one you signed? But uh, fair enough. But uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, I think one thing that Mikai will be disappointed about is uh, is sort of Tilson's clearance for that third goal. You've just got back in it, <laughs> and, and it's like it's such a weak clearance. 
and then it's a, a nice pass to to Morelos, and, and he puts it away, and then you're you're sort of under the cosh again. But as always, Tom, we're spending far too much time talking about every nook and cranny on every game, and <laughs> people are probably getting bored. So let's go to hey, oh, let's go to the other side of the old firm then. Um, Celtic St Mirren. I don't know how much we really learn here. It's just that St Mirren, St Mirren have a really bad start after me and Duncan said on the preview yeah. talking St Mirren up. They had a great season last season overall. And I felt that they sort of improved their squad and it's not yeah. clicked yet. <laughs> but um, the one thing we did notice is that we didn't know Alan Power was going to be great. And he really threw them under the... For your, for your experienced player to do that, yeah, I feel like he threw them under the bus a bit there. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things I was, thought was really interesting with it um, was the the, um, the the comment after the game, which uh, you know the, the big decisions went against us. That you know, from a Sunderland point of view, which is both entirely true and probably wouldn't have had a huge impact on the overall scoreline. Like, had Alan Power, the way that Celtic were playing, had Alan Power stayed on the pitch and had Curtis Main's goal not been incorrectly ruled out, I think Celtic would probably have just won 7-2 or something like yeah. that. They, um, I think I think we've, we are learning that Postacoglu's Celtic are not going... They're going to be relentless. I think we've learned how... I think we'll learn the 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 impact, the negative impact that the last days of Neil Lennon certainly had. Not the not his entire time at Celtic, obviously, but certainly those last times and how deflating that must have been because there are so many players who seem to have found one, two, four levels above them um, and are playing you know sig- significantly above anything that we've. We've expected or seen from them either in the last couple of seasons or ever. Or, or ever in some sense, <laughs> and it's also an effective way of saying, yeah, there's still big question marks over that Celtic defence. You know, I think they're they're to to have a couple of good games is one thing for that to be the first choice defence for the whole season. I think there would still be question marks, but if you're basically going to go, okay, well. Yeah, there's question marks over our defence, but you deal with Kurihashi, Edward, Abada, Christie, and Turnbull, and our, you know, our 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 deepest midfielders, McGregor, who's like not exactly the most defensive-minded at the best of times. Then you're gonna just run over the top of people, and that's pretty much what they did. Pretty much what they did, they did the Samaritan. Um, Samaritan, I think, tried to do what they did last season, where you. Sit, uh, you you you're pretty compact in the middle. Yeah, you might let Celtic have the ball out wide, and you might let them move it side to side. But the minute that it comes in, you snaffle it up and get rid of it, and and kind of swamp them. Um, needless to say, it didn't work this time. Uh, St Mirren's wing backs kind of got got caught out, got exposed, and it was based from the point, especially from the point that that power gets sent off. It's basically 3v3 man-marking one of the front three at, at any point, which is why you get, you know, like Turnbull and Christie got so much uh, so much joy. Celtic had 37 shots on goal. So that's, actually, that's a shot on goal every two and a half minutes. 
brutal. When I look at their, um, when I look at their, their average, I was looking up their average positions because obviously you're trying to find something interesting. Six nil isn't always the most interesting scoreline to talk about, especially when it's a team that's now seemed to just be doing it furiously. Um, but like, <laughs> Startfelt is the only player whose average position isn't ahead of the halfway line. But <laughs> 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 then that includes Welsh uh, and obviously Ralston and Taylor. Uh, and so they just they've absolutely pulverized them, and it's just it's it's nice for Celtic fans as well to because it was just so bad last season, and like it was so it wasn't just everyone obviously hated Neil Lennon and, and Neil Lennon Neil Lennon's pulling out all the hits now. I'm really enjoying them. That uh, it's possible has got fuck all to do with this, and it's just because the Green Brigade are back in. Um, so I don't know why they don't pay the Green Brigade the millions and millions that they that they clearly deserve. Um, but when you've got Christy, Roger, Turnbull, and Furuashi's massive as well because he's capable of going beyond, which the rest of them maybe don't like to do so much. And Abada's sort of like is quite quick because Edward likes to drop. Um, so that you've got they've got a lot of technicians in there. So now that they've added Furuashi and Abada, I think that helps a lot because now you can't just. That if you want to sit deep, then Turnbull's just going to hit shots every time and he's going to score um, because he's got his eye in this season, especially. And this is going to look, this is going to be like a truly, he's already had a breakthrough season, but you know what I mean? This is going to be a truly breakthrough season of David Turnbull going to a new level as a as a player. He's probably going to sit, he's probably going to get about 20 goals in this team quite easily and they're going to be the highlights reel of them are all going to be these wicked outside of the foot ones that go into the corner so that'll be great um, and Abada it's just, and then they've still got Forrest to come in so there's so much more of a balance and going forward and yeah it's relentless and I'm glad because even if they don't go ahead and win the league the least range in Celtic should do for Scottish football if you're going to dominate the living shit out of it it should be good <laughs> it should be fun it should be exciting to watch uh, and you should be limping around uh, and if you do limp around get out the fucking way and let someone take over you because then it's funny like there's, there's <laughs> things that you sort of like these are the roles that people have to play um, but Postacoglu fair play him because to, to lose the opening gate time castle when everyone's already questioning who you are and he's suddenly got they, they, they're playing clearly playing in his way he, the work's been done on the training ground there is absolutely no doubt about it um, so that's absolutely great for him and he got knocked to the Champions League so I mean it was now that he's got to grips with it they need to give him the money because this team could, could do something this season this team could by the looks of things really go for a, a full tilt at the title and maybe have a, a wee bit of an exciting time in, in Europe which is all Celtic fans will be wanting yeah, I mean they they should be fairly well set up, barring some disaster to 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 at least improve the coefficient. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I I think the for me the biggest and starkest difference is if you go back to the the the, um, the game that St Mirren won at Celtic Park last season yeah. when Celtic were trying to. So yeah, the the highlights reel is like Shane Duffy. You know, doing his best, John Travolta, and looking around for his man, still trying to find his man. But when Celtic were go- were looking to get back in that game, it was pass it sideways, pass it sideways, look for you know, look for somebody to make a run. This was just constant movement around the edge of the box. I mean, e- even before Alan Power gets sent off, 
the there are 11 men behind the ball. Like there are 11 men from St Mirren, 25 yards from their own their own goal line. Um, the, if the plan is to sort of let let Celtic have it wide, then you've got to do an awful lot better than let Abada cut in on his left foot. And and there is you know there it wasn't just that that Celtic were good that Jack Olmick, who I think we'll probably talk about uh, in a bit um, again, yeah. had at least three, and being kind, at least three could have done a little, at least a little better with yeah. the others that just went right through him. But I don't think that's to take away from the fact that like Celtic just rinsed them out. Yeah, it looked like it looked like a real hard day at the office. And like you said, we, me and you, I remember me and you were on the pod last year when St Mirren beat Celtic uh, at Parkhead and St Mirren done that with a rotated team. I remember that well and it wasn't like sort of like they, they rested some players. So, um, so yeah, and that was another weird thing about Neil Lennon because it, it wasn't a style of play because he was quite a swashbuckling manager when he's at his best. The team's they, they, maybe not the most over-tactical manager, but very much freedom to the players to enjoy themselves. So I think it really leans into the point that, like, looking back, it's the, 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 the old phrase, losing the dressing room, is what sort of springs to mind for last season. But let's not talk about that, Tom, because... Very briefly, just on Lennon, I have a theory, and this is based on absolutely nothing at all. I don't know him, I don't have any insider information whatsoever. But I think there is a bit of, like, cult of personality. So when he's up for it and he's got the bit between his teeth and he's like, go out, do this. I'm confident. I'm feeling good about the football we're playing. It resonates with the team. They go out and do that. When he's not, when he feels under under pressure, when there are situations like last season where there's no real home advantage, when, you know, teams are coming up and kind of bullying you because stadiums a vacuum and everything's going against you. He makes enemies, and mm. and he, that equally has, you know, it's the, the power to to impact the room with with a with a mood. I think that there's something in that based on nothing more than my speculation. Thank you. Well, let's speculate on Livingston's future as they go on, as they've lost once again to Motherwell, who got their first victory at the Tony Macaroni Arena. I managed to watch the first half of this and I had internet problems, which I had all weekend, which was very frustrating. The one time, again, the phrase, it's the one thing they didn't want to happen over the one period that it didn't want to happen, but that's like hungover from a wedding, trying to just lie down and watch the Scottish football. And then I wasn't able to. Um, but I managed to catch a bit of this. And um, I personally think this should have been a draw. Uh, the, the way the games went out. I don't think Livingston were bad, just like the last game. I thought Livingston were quite unlucky against Aberdeen that, that you would have watched. And so the same things happened that they've conceded a, a late goal. And now that's, that's sort of all those points gone. You just, but I still don't believe that it's a terrible team. I don't know what you think. I think they've got enough, they, they've got enough quality, but it's almost like, I'm I'm saving my my big stat for the paying Patreon customers that will, <laughs> will come. Up. But the, it's almost like all the luck and rub of the green that they got when Martindale first came in, and all the momentum that they had, and every single thing that was going their way. It's almost like the judge dread of law of averages is coming back, and uh, everything the the opposite is happening now. Um, I thought this was 
quite good fun though. This was like proper rock'em sock'em, high deflections, weird bounces, bodies hitting the floor. Um, all Are you saying that like the, it was the plastic pitches can can help with something like that, Tom? Is that what you're saying? I think that I I think that plastic pitches can offer an X factor, and there's. Di- it's different football. Just as any conditions different, if it's wet, if it's sunny, if it's icy, whatever. Plastic pitch is a different sort of football. You get different bounces. You can get like, I mean, I remember the somebody charged the ball down on the edge of the box at a Hamilton game once, and the def- the deflection from the ball being charged down, the ball just took off up the other end, and someone and the opposite team were in on goal. I can't remember which way around it was, but it was basically. That that's this kind of X factor that can happen. It, it wasn't just a pitch though; like both teams were kind of up and at it and rattling into challenges and not particularly confident defensively. It was all sort of hacking the ball away, smashing into each other. Um, yeah, just quite quite good fun. The only the only real bit of quality in that first half was Alan Forrest's uh, finish, which is. Sort of, a, a really nice underrated finish. I really like those goals when they drag move it, moving one way, yeah, moving one way, moving moving the other, and drag it so the ball is always going away from the goalkeeper. It's a, it's a it's a Martin Boyle special, so it's one I've seen very <laughs> regularly. I think it's quite interesting what you said about the style, um, the up and at them, and low a bit of low quality, but it's enjoyable because I think that's oh, I might have Motherwell fans really in my face, and I don't know what Graham will think about this. But I've seen them against Hibs, and in and I feel like they've got quite a lot of endeavour, a lot of effort, quite a lot of chaos as well. But there isn't a huge amount of quality yet that I've seen. I, I mean, I'm, I'm Slattery. I think might might have a bit of that, um, and as I said, I, I maybe missed uh, like noticing that. But Amlazar and, and Woolery, they were well, Amlazar especially looks like a handful. Uh, he looks very difficult to to handle, and he'll be a, a, a difficult player to play against. But I see the ball gets caught under his feet sometimes, and it, and he's and it's and it's quite ferocious. It's a hundred miles per hour with him out there, and then you've got McGabby and behind him playing right back all of a sudden, which uh, I didn't know was going to be a thing, but it was. <laughs> and then they had Grimshaw who got the goal, and 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 Grimshaw is probably the, the archetype player for. Endeavour well lacking a, a, a little bit of quality. So like in the first half, they, they saw in Motherwell, a lot of their attacks came down the right-hand side and Grimshaw was going over. So it was McGabby, Grimshaw and Amlazor and it was and it was hectic out there. And they were they were getting some joy, of course, but this is something like Motherwell, they're, they're very much set up to the, the, like a, a Scottish football, like how, how an English person would view a Scottish football team. Uh, as I feel what Motherwell are kind of moving into. And then when you go into the defence, Ojala loves, looks like he really enjoys defending. But again, like he does not want that ball at his feet for any longer than it has to be. And then Ricky Lamy is starting to, like, we're forgetting any good times that he had at Livingston, which, I mean, I spoke to Graham, he's not even convinced there really were so many good times at, at Livingston. But Ricky Lamy's, really testing my patience in terms of <laughs> defending him as a I think he's borderline rubbish. Um yeah actually yeah I think he's rubbish. I think that I think 
what what for me is telling, and I, I think you know, credit credit to Motherwell, they they kept going, they got back into it with a goal that I don't think it would be possible. Like it's the kind of goal that you'll never, no one would ever be able to replicate in like FIFA, where it's across an attempted looping header that comes off the ground and bounces up so high because of the pitch that. Tony Watt can come in at an angle and nod it past the keeper. Run from one post to the other. Yeah. yeah. Like, and credit to them for, 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 for keeping on plugging away. But I don't think either team, there was a lot of endeavor on both sides. There was a lot, like I say, a lot of people smashing into each other and a lot of people, um, a lot of hacking the ball away in the edge of the boxes. But for all the, for all of that, Livy had, 50% 50% more touches of the ball mm. and played 170 more passes than Motherwell did. So when... And that, and that goes against the sort of theory of, of Livingston. Um, yeah, when, when, when football broke out, and I said this as somebody who enjoyed this, when the football broke out, it was largely Livingston that was play, uh, Holt, playing Because J- Jason Holt was really, really good, I felt. Um, he was exactly what you're saying. He was the one player who was very much able to... So when it was going wild around them, he was capable of playing his game. Yeah, and and they had, I mean, the, the best chance of the game, like Nicky Devlin misses an open mm. goal, and it's not an open goal like a total tap-in. It is one he's got to arrive a bit late to, and he's got to hit the first time, but he really does have to score with that when it's 1-1, and that was by far and away the best bit of football either side played on the day. But Livy are just not taking chances like that, mm. and when you have a game that's a bit scrappy and things are falling to people and deflections and, and fumbles and all sorts of things are, are like that are happening, it is, it's, a, it's a bit of chaos. And that was ultimately what the, uh, how the winner came about, that uh, you know, Grimshaw follows up on, on that 21 chance. His first ever goal after eight months out, it's quite a nice story as well. Yeah, and strike. I'm not, I, I wanted to blame him, but then when I see it, I didn't want to, I was like two weeks in a row, he's sort of like fucked up for a for a late winner. But I think he, he hasn't seen well and Tony Watt does really well to disguise what he's going to do. You never know when he's going to release the shot and he's sort of wrong-footed a bit and he still makes a save. I like to say Grimshaw, great, he, he runs in and he, and, he, and, he, and he gets that goal and I've never seen him do that. Sort of chasing and that shows the enthusiasm of, I can't believe I'm having my first game back. Um <laughs> And, and and as you said, fair play. I mean, it's, it's like a, a really great moment. But I like don't get me wrong because they've got Van Veen to come back in, and, and Watt's such a clever player that he can play right across the front three. We've got Hara in there, who I didn't think had his best game, but O'Hara's in there, who, who is a footballer, and Donnelly is fit again, and he might be able to come in. So there are other options. So they might Motherwell have the chance where they could maybe find the right blend between this sort of chaos. And uh, the sort of quality, so I'd, I'd be interested. To look, but yeah, I'm, I'm Mugabe, Ojala, Lamy. I like Carroll's not a player I dislike, uh, but again, he's not the world's most technical player. He's he's crossing's pretty good, but he's one who likes to use his strength and his pace to get to the byline, and he's good at those wrap wrapping his foot around the crosses when he's still running at full pelt, which I know is a really really difficult skill. But so I mean, interesting and Livingston. Uh, Bruce Anderson I think has made a decent start and I know there was a lot of doubts about him and I still I wouldn't say he's brushed them off I think Fowler makes a good really great point before that it was great he was so good at Hamilton when Ocupo was there and in the minute Ocupo got taken out of the team Bruce Anderson's sort of um, like impact on matches sort of waned but he he done well for the goal 
Uh, and he, and he, I feel like his work rates went up so much since the Hamilton loan. And that's the that's my main thing that, I, that from when he ever played at Aberdeen that I didn't really notice. He done well, even though, as I said, to set up Forrest for the goal. And then Ricky, again, Ricky Lamy just sort of runs beside him and lets him sort of go right across the box. Um, so I don't know. So, yeah, like if I was Livingston, I thought Obelai looked like a decent centre-half. Um, he looks he, he looks pretty settled. And Longridge showed that he was good last season. So as much as I think a lot of people are worried about Livingston, I still think there's a lot of decent to be in that. Sibbled went off, Shinny came on. I still think they'll, they'll embark on a run at some point, and they will be A-OK, but there'll be no sort of heroics that there were last season and there'll be no cup finals, will be, I think it's simple to say. Right, let's go to the last one, Tom. Uh, I thought I'd just leave it to the end. 1-0, it was a game that I didn't watch simply because it was 0-0 twice last season as well, uh, and I didn't say a game, but quite interestingly, that... Um, St Johnston have still not won a game. They've, they've drawn most of their games this season, both in cup competitions and in, uh, and in the league. But they've went to defeat here. And when do we start saying that Tam Courts is doing quite well? Because you look at that Dundee United team, you think that it lacks quite a lot. But it's the, the sort of system... And the work rate and the pressing, which is all the things that a manager can give to his team, that's the things that stand out in these sort of last two victories. Um, so are we impressed with Tam Courts? I think credit where it's due. I think, the, like you said, I think that sometimes there's a bit of a... We like, we like someone... Not that we like people failing, but we like people failing catastrophically. <laughs> and we like people failing catastrophically when they've given an indication that they really know what they're talking about. And Tam Quartz has given the indication that he really knows what he's talking about. And the early indications were that, certainly from the, the first game of the season, that not sure not sure he, do, he does, but actually maybe he, he does know what he's doing. I think the way that they, the way they lined up against Rangers... The way that what what particularly impressed me about this game when I think they rode their luck at times and um, I'll come on to St Johnston in a minute, but I think when they went ahead, the way that he managed the game, the way that he made subtle changes to you know, play slightly deeper, but also being able to 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 break and um, setting out to be a bit more. To, to be a bit more solid in a not in a Mickey Mellon way of like we're going to be absolutely rigid and everything's just going to be launched up to the one the one player in the opposition half but you know to be the, the midfield dropped a little deeper the passes were a little longer but with the idea being that they could break in numbers when they did so I think he does have to have some credit I think um, there's still fairly significant holes in that squad for them to even to kick on from where they finished last season. I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if if they don't you know if they don't climb the league dramatically from where they were last season because I'm not sure that at the moment the the squad of individuals they've got is significantly better than it was last season. But I think they'll be vaguely attractive to watch at times. I think 
court seems like he's he's learning. He, I think he probably has a better idea of what he wants and what he needs um, to to make that that squad work. Um, and I'm not sure that was the case last season. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like I watched them in the Dundee United game, and sorry, in the Rangers game. And the fullbacks were, were huge in that game. And I feel like maybe the fullbacks were held back in Mellon's sort of style last season. And he's sort of unlocking that, which I think is really smart because they do lack creativity. I mean, Nicky Clark showed a lot. And I mean, he was really creative for, for Paul at school. I thought it was really smart from Clark, that little touch. And he's shown, I think Clark surprised a lot of people, including myself, in his all-round game. Um and since he's went to Dundee United, he's shown a lot more. I mean, most of us thought he'd be nowhere near the team last season because you thought McNulty, the, the the expensive sort of loan signing, and he was, and he was the only one not taking a pay cut. And then they had Pollock there last season, so you were really certain that that's that's the front too. Uh, and then sort of bland old Nicky Clark from the from the Championship, and I don't mean that in a, an offensive way, but you know what I mean. That's sort of how we how we knew him, and Clark was the best of the three of them. Uh, last season clearly and he's and he started again as well and it's like I said he's got the number 10 on his back and um, he really deserves it he's playing in, in that style but these fullbacks are being unleashed so Robson and Smith look like they become like a huge part of the, the way they play because they're using Paul and Sporla in the wide places in, in this game and they and they were coming inside quite a lot because Paulette's Paulette was a winger but I mean we've not known Paulette as a winger from for a long 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 time and um, and it was nice to see Paul, if he can unleash Paul, which I think is something he's really trying to do. Paul looked like he was enjoying himself yesterday. And, and I mean that in the way that his celebrations and tackling, um, and I know he ended up getting red carded, and I don't agree with the red card, but we'll come on to that in a second. But Paul, it was a huge part of the game in the all-action style that we remembered that we've not seen. Again, maybe another one who had these wings clipped last season. Um from from Mellon and he looked like he was the like the the how a celebration. I, I I don't remember I've seen Paul like that. And I've certainly never seen him putting in these sort of big slide tackles. But I might be unfair. I maybe I, I missed that last season. So it might be unfair, but it just didn't look like it looked more like a Peter Paul of old. Yeah, I think that I mean I think one of the one of the great puzzles with Peter Pollitt is every single part of his game should like he, he doesn't give the ball away an awful lot. He's very direct. He's got a fairly decent cross on him. He can beat a man. He's very, very quick when he gets up ahead of pace. All of these things suggest he should be a very good winger, and he's never been a very good winger. Like He's, he's never been a very good winger. He's never even really been a particularly effective like number 10 directly behind the striker, where he... I mean, where he was so effective in that like first McInnes team was getting the ball just inside his own half and running with it. And he almost needed a bit of... It's not like give him 10, 15 yards to run into. He needs a, a good bit more than that. And his acceleration was taking him away from people and just, you know, a couple of touches would beat people. Um and I think if you try to play him with his, he, he is only an attacking player, but he only really works and fires on all cylinders if he's an attacking player playing quite deep. In the same way as like some fullbacks, 
if you play them as wing backs, they're nowhere near as effective mm-hmm. as an attacking threat because they, you know, they need to overlap. Or they need, he's almost like he needs to, like a running back or something. He, he needs to be running into space and receiving the ball so that he just moves you up the pitch. I still think that's the case, um, and I think we saw a bit more of that. I have never seen him throw himself into tackles. I've never seen him yeah. be as all action as that. I've certainly never seen him enjoy a, a goal like that. Certainly not since I think he scored the winner at Tannadice about seven years ago. Um, yeah. But that's that, very different. That, that comes back to the maybe the smartness um, from the manager for courts here because maybe he's geeing him up big because he knows that he's lacking. Um, creative players and when you look at Paul is the only one that has uh, Fuchs Levitt um, even Sporla mm. like he looks like he's like the only one that you can see that would have that even uh, any type of that I really think something that could be smart for them if they I don't know how their alternatives are at, at left back but and obviously Scott Allen's fitness but if if Doig was to leave um, maybe you can Robson. I can imagine him maybe being interesting. I'm, I, I think there's Robson's a player that could could improve. I think there's a there's a higher ceiling from Robson. I'm not saying that Hibbs will be after him, but I could see if they were able to and if they, that was to happen, they should use Scott Allen in there because I feel McNulty is just fucking worthless in this style of team because all he wants he wants to play on the shoulder of defenders. His movement's good, and they don't have anyone there who threads. Through balls, um, maybe Nicky Clark dropping off, but again, and, and, he, and he can do that. But I just feel like McNulty is just the wrong striker in this team, um, unless they bring in a, a, a guy who likes to play attacking midfield and play sort of nice passes through. And, 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 I, and the reason I use Scott Allen is because there's one that's out of favour uh, at his team and who's had a great partnership with McNulty when Jack Ross came in. So I've, I've witnessed it and I really think it could suit McNulty, but I just think McNulty's very one-track striker. That is, he, that's how he plays. So, I mean, I think they either, if they've got, I'm sure they've got much better scouting than me because I'm using it for the players at my club, but um, an element, if they could maybe get someone like that, even if they don't use them for the start every week, but they could could, could bring them in, because I think that's something they really lack, that sort of creative spark. And Paulette, for his, as you said, more about drive, maybe getting beyond, I could maybe see Clark dropping off and maybe Paulette getting some licence to, to go beyond. It's all stuff that could be exciting. And then with Mulgrew's passing ability, if they push these fullbacks right up, you could see Mulgrew picking out sort of Smith or Robson high up the pitch, with those with raking passes, so that again going back to what I was saying about Ross County, it's like trying to notice where these partnerships can be made, mm-hmm. um, in and in a team that's maybe lacking a lot, and then maybe they have these these few weapons. But we'll t- really quickly on on St Johnston. So they've they've had a pretty tough start to the season, but people aren't really talking about it too much because they're still getting these huge results away from home in Europe, which is always so impressive. So we see the impressive side. Is still there, but if you're asking me, I think when it's Middleton, May, and Kane, I really think that miss that's missing a Wotherspoon, or if we're looking at last season, a Melamed, because it's like someone who's a bit more technician, um, in that in that front three to give it that little bit of more of a, a more of balance, if you like. Yeah, a bit, I think they were missing that. I think there was, there was a bit of control, and I mean, I think it would be easy to. 
um, it would be easy to say that you know it's a it's hard for smaller squads to rotate. They've been away in Turkey, they've been away in Austria, straight back into league duty. It would be easy to say they looked a bit a bit blunt and hesitant because of their exploits and because it's easy, that's what I'm going to do. Um, I think they were trying to maybe force things a little bit too much. Maybe someone that had, would put their foot on the ball and just look, be a bit more patient. There was a bit, there was a lot of chaos. They had, they had chances six, eight yards out and rather than anyone kind of breathing, waiting for the ball to drop and, playing an intelligent pass. There was a lot of swinging at things and and just, you know, general chaos, just trying to force things rather than letting them happen the way that they were kind of laterally at the end of, at the end of last season. I'm, I'm being slightly flippant by saying that I'm taking the easy option, but I think there has to be a, an element of that that, and they started last season slowly as well. They'll yeah. take a wee while to get to get some momentum up. Um, but, you know, they're not a million miles away. They were not a million miles away in this game. I think for large parts of the game, they were the, they were the better team, but they just couldn't really, they couldn't capitalise when they went down, uh, when Dundee United went down to 10 men. And when they, when they did have their chances, they, they were just kind of snatching at them. Okay. Exciting to see Rooney, because Rooney was someone that was going to come into my thinking for the Patreon uh, again um, for the start. But, Maybe he might miss out just because I got uh, I got a little pop from his swashbuckling run there in the in the ball across, and he done the same to create the goal, um, the the sort of um, consolation goal against Galatasaray, and he started barging people out the way and and sort of getting that head of steam that we all loved so much. So <laughs> if he's doing that, and then he adds a few headers at the back post and he starts getting in the box again, maybe everything will be fine for Sean Mooney. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and and maybe we didn't get carried away wanting him to play for Scotland. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think they, they need to get Witherspoon back. I really do. I just think it lacks in that front three. You've got the Kane endeavour. May's become a player where it's more about his physicality and his endeavour rather than like his, his ability like it was when we, we remember the, the real Stevie May. Um, even though May does have a lot of experience now, so he can play quite cute and he's quite clever, but he doesn't have the, the same skill level as and touch in Middleton, who looked pretty dangerous in this game for, for the highlights. He looked at the main man um, in that front three. But yeah, Wotherspoon, Wotherspoon's been a mainstay of, of St. Johnston for years, so they will they will miss him. But I did feel that Melamed was a good replacement for that, even though they're very different players. Just someone who's like, first touch is so good. Um, he can play on the half turn, all that type of stuff. And he's very aware of what's going on around them. So it might be in a different position and slightly different, but those are a couple of attributes that are similar that maybe they lack, but people might say I'm wrong. Uh, so let's finish up there, Tom. Thank you so much for, for joining me. And we are going to go over to Patreon, as I said, about a hundred times. So maybe that's a clue that you have to start supporting us on Patreon and come over and listen to us. Talk about players who have had worse starts than we would anticipate. So say goodbye, Tom. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Sports Social Podcast Network.